In this episode of the Planning Podcast, we have with us again, James Corbett Bircher. Welcome to him. Welcome to you. Thanks for joining us. James is going to help us with the content, rationale and benefits of national development management policies. That in turn has a real impact on Section 38.6 of the 2004 Act, the planner's favourite statutory provision for all of those in development management. And again, this is a planning podcast with notes. We hope that you find those to be useful. James, hello and good afternoon to you. Hello, good afternoon, Richard. Let's have a look at another important part of the LERB because we have the introduction of a new acronym. It's not a TLA, it's a four-letter acronym. We've got the National Development Management Policies, the NDMP. What's the general idea here, James? So the general idea here is to clarify an issue that we've long fought over at Appeal, and that is the right balance between the development plan, the adopted development plan, and national policy as set by government. Now, currently, as we all know, Section 38.6 refers purely to material considerations. And what this new provision does is it adds in a provision which, uh, first of all, sets the development plan and national development management policies, i.e. national policy, in the format of the MPPF. I'll explain the format of this in due course, but assume for present purposes national policy. And it essentially puts it on an equivalent status with the development plan with a critical final provision, which I can read out. This is going to be the new 38.5c. If, to any extent, the development plan conflicts with a national development management policy, the conflict must be resolved in favour of the national development management policy. So in practice, what we have here, situation where the development plan may say one thing, but the NDMP, if that says anything which is in conflict with it, then the NDMP prevails. And as a final observation on this, this effectively unlocks uh, and resolves much of the problem we've had, this concept of out of date over the years. Not, of course, currently a statutory term, in effect, you may have, under the system, a development plan adopted. But if an MDMP is in place, which has a conflicting provision, then the MDMP prevails, thus effectively solving, and making certainly a very clear route to what out-of-date means, effectively to be overtaken by the MDMP. Now, listeners will have, uh, I'm sure, enjoyed and appreciated your presentation of what's going to happen in terms of local plans. I imagine that it will be immediately obvious that having NDMPs in play will mean that local plans will not need to replicate that which is in an NDMP. I suppose that is that's the starting point. It it puts all local plans on a a level playing field referring to these development management policies set nationally and perhaps changed from time to time nationally. But you've made the additional point that where there is an interaction or an overlap or even an inconsistency as between the national development management policy and something which is in a local plan, it's the national policy which trumps it. Have I got that about right? That's exactly right. Uh, and of 
of course, the NDMPs will cover a vast range of subject matter, essentially all of that within the MPPF, which currently refers to d decision-making matters. And as a consequence, local plans should, under this system, have considerably more focused, more spatial content, so focused on allocations and restrictive designations without the panoply of other provisions covering heritage matters and so forth. So in effect, uh, what we're seeing is it's a much, as I said before in our earlier podcast, a much more simpler, much more streamlined system where it's clear where one is to look um, for guidance as to how a decision should be taken. It seems to me this uh, ought to have been done years ago, not least because it eliminates the need for any uncertainty in a particular local plan policy approach to a particular development management issue. It eliminates the need to debate the precise meaning of that at any inquiry because it's already been done. It's there. It's in national policy. If if there is some debate about the meaning of that, then uh, there'll be uh, some inspector's decision which helps, which is applicable nationally rather than just in one particular district or borough. One therefore has not only the saving in terms of the size of a particular local plan, you've also got these savings operationally. So it's hard to see what there is to dislike about this approach. I completely agree. It's, it is definitely something we would have appreciated in the early years of the MPPF. Litigation wars over paragraph MPPF 14 and 49 as they then were I think it is important to recognise that the MPPF obviously was a product of the early days of the coalition government. They'd done a lot of legislative work through the Localism Act already. There was limited parliamentary time. And of course, it, it does take a long time. It is, planning legislation is the veritable, the proverbial super tanker. It does require quite a bit of time to make big changes. And I think what we're seeing here, 10 years, or more than 10 years, after the MPPS first publication, is effectively that the system's starting to move in the direction that it always should have gone. Of course, re reflecting all of those all those battles in court that we had, and the need for clarity in in the planning system. Well, I have to say that I enjoyed many of those battles, but uh, that the system is is definitely, in my view, better in the way that you've described it. Trying to stitch together what you explained in our earlier podcast as to the timetable for new local plans to be introduced. Will it be necessary for the the NDMPs to be in place and introduced in advance of uh, such local plans coming forward? What's the sequence? Yes, that... I, 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 absolutely. Because the statutory provisions require uh, the new local plans essentially to exclude matters that are covered by NDMPs. So if I can be forgiven some inaccuracy in 10 months' time after political matters delay delay this timetable, one can envisage if the LERB was to come into force in the next few months, government at that stage then has the power to consult on the NDMP content there isn't a stipulated period for that, but let us assume two to three months. And then obviously to consider the content of those uh, representations conscientiously, 
to then publish the NDM piece, let us say towards the latter end of this year, the start of next year. And then the NDMPs are in force. And government obviously may provide for some element of transitional provision, clarifying obviously on the face of the NDMPs themselves how decisions are to be made. Of course, we've been warned in the consultation document that a lot of the content of the MPPF will simply be transported over into the NDMPs, but I would certainly expect some additions uh, to that text. And so effectively, we'll be operating on the NDMP system for decision-taking into 2024. And then at that stage, that is the, 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 the kick-off time for the local plans, at least as published in the consultation. And so local plans can then, under the new system, can then have regard to the NDMPs and decide what content they need to take into account. And critically, this, this, this critical distinction, should they just simply focus on spatial designations and leave aside all the rest of the local policies? Or should they try and add a layer of policies in respect of local interests? Of course, that has got to be explained within the MPPF. I should have said the MPPF will then, under this system, be the guide as to the content of the local plans sitting alongside the, the NDMPs. Of course, a much stripped-down version of the MPPF, focusing, obviously, just on the local plan content. OK. Well, can I tempt you, then, to come back, maybe in six months, maybe in nine months' time, and uh, we'll see what's happened. And the extent to which the view which we hold now is to any extent actually what has happened. Can I tempt you back? Absolutely. And I, I, I probably at this stage should get my <laughs> excuses in at, at this early stage. And obviously, <laughs> I'm assuming, for the purposes of my timetable, that government has the appetite to get the LERB through within the next two months. If, of course, it hits various political icebergs, or indeed just simply rapids, then certainly as one tips into 2024, then sadly we could see further delay. But I, I'm certainly envisaging that the LERB now having passed so many of its stages through the Lords, and with only some very narrow amendments, that government would want to get this on the statute book early inside this year and get on with building this system, which of course is a set out in my last, last podcast, and, and this obviously has a lot of promise to really reform the system and make the lives of planning practitioners, be they developers, local authorities, or even barristers, quite a bit more satisfying, focusing on building great, great, great projects, uh, rather than, as it were, tussling with some of the loose ends of the 2004 Act and before. Well, podcast listeners, whatever their sphere of interest, I hope are indeed satisfied um, by what the LERB brings to them but I know for certain that they will be very satisfied to have heard uh, that clearest of explanations James and they will be very very appreciative so thank you on behalf of them and uh, as I say look forward to getting you back uh, in due course. James thank you very much goodbye. Thank you very much Richard bye-bye. That was the second of really two-parter on the effect of the levelling up 
Bill on plan making and decision making. Hope that you found both podcasts and the notes to be helpful to you. Next up will be Howard Leithhead and Hugh Richards, who's going to take us through some recent planning cases. Look forward to being with you then.